You're listening to the Pop Czar Podcast. All of a sudden, you speak in English now, huh? A little. A little my ass, you lied to me. I didn't say I didn't. You assume I didn't. Assume I kick your little Beijing ass right now, man. I ain't scared of you. I know you know that little tricky shit. Come on. I'm not responsible for your assumption. You full of shit. You understand that? You full of shit. Not being able to speak is not the same as not speaking. You seem as if you like to talk. I like to let people talk who like to talk. It makes it easier to find out how full of shit they are. What the hell did you just say? It's movie time. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. It's the Movie Time Podcast from PopZara.com. That's right. It's our, what is it, annual, monthly, bi-monthly? Well, it's whenever we want-ish. It's the Movie Podcast over at PopZara.com, where myself, Nathan Evans, managing editor of PopZara.com, and my fellow co-host, Mr. Ethan Brem. Ethan, hello. Hey, how's he on? He's right there, folks. Now, yeah. we, when we talk about movies, unpretentiously, unreservedly fun, uh, we don't know everything, and we're not just going to read Wikipedia articles, because you can do that yourself. In 1998, a movie... Nah, we're not going to do that. That's stupid. Today, we're going to change things up a little bit. Normally, Ethan, we talk about two movies, we try to contrast them, but every once in a while, a single movie comes out that demands a little more attention... Uh, for obvious or sometimes not so obvious reasons. And I got to pick the movie this time because you went last time. And you had a good pair. If you haven't listened to it, go back and watch. Go listen to The Day the Earth Stood Still, matched with The Vast of Night. It's one of our best. I loved it. Uh, you'll love it too. But today we're going to talk about something vastly different. We're going to be talking about 1996's Rumble in the Bronx. That's right. Jackie Chan, Rumble in the Bronx. Dubbed, I think it came out in Hong Kong, what, 94, 95? Do we know? Do we have... I think it was... A, was it the same year as the U.S. release? Usually, no, but uh, yeah. it could be. But we'll, we'll get into that. See, we, we, we clearly don't know everything because we haven't read all the articles and we haven't watched all the videos and our information isn't completely regurgitated because I don't think it needs to. And can we just, let's just say a little disclaimer before we go forward, Ethan. I like this movie. I think from talking to you, I think you like this movie too. Yeah. But that being said, there's really not much to the movie. Mm -hmm. I I don't think we're going to sit here and talk about camera angles and how great the soundtrack was and the acting's superb and the direction's great because I don't think on any one level this movie excels more than average. But I don't think Rumble in the Bronx is about that. I think it's about something much bigger, much more explorative, and I think that's what we're going to focus on. But we'll do it in a fun way, because yeah. we're, we're fun. We're wild yeah, and a, crazy guys. It's, yeah, it's not that movie. I think it's uh, like Robert, Robert, Roger Ebert said, um, you know, if you try to analyze it on a narrative level, it's futile. Yeah, just sit back, because Jackie Chan is a force of nature. And let's just say this before we go forward. So in 1996, 1996 was basically, might as well, well I was going to say last century, might as well have been two centuries ago, cinematically. We're talking about movies that are in between. Batman is the biggest comic book movie in the world. Uh, we just had Speed come out and rock the world. We, we John Travolta is one of the biggest movie actors in the world. Nicolas Cage is still considered a serious actor, even though he's doing crazy crap like Face Off. Schwarzenegger had, had a really good reign. Yeah, Schwarzenegger was right at the cusp of, of the end, I think. Yeah. Right before, right between, uh, what's the movie he did He did with the... Sixth Day? No, not Sixth Day. Oh, True Lies, True Lies. After True Lies, he did the one with Vanessa Williams. What was that? Erasure. Erasure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, where he killed the crocodile or alligator, and he says, your luggage. And right before Mr. Freeze and his punathon. 
Yeah. Which, by the way, uh, Mr. Freeze in Batman and Robin, those aren't actually puns that he's saying. They're just phrases. Yeah. But, you know, but we'll get to that later. Contextual phrases. Contextual phrases. Basically, grown phrases. Because he's getting $30 million to do this crap. So let's get into it. So Rumble in the Bronx comes out in 1996. I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say you did not see this film in the theater. No, I uh, in 90, 95, 96, alive? I was about six or seven. Yeah, okay. I was born in 89. Okay, 89. I, uh, yeah, I did not see this in theater. I, I had a, a strict no PG-13 in our movie from my parents until I was probably in junior high. And that's... And that's why the killings happened. And that's why I'm so far behind. <laughs> oh, you'll make up. You'll make up. It's like it's like you get to explore. It's like it's like you're that that person who's been shoved down in the bunker because mm-hmm. you thought because your dad thought the nuclear war was happening. And when you got out of the bunker, you get to see all the Marvel movies for the first time. Yeah, I'm literally Patrick from SpongeBob. I live under a rock. <laughs> he lives under a rock, but that means you get to see it all over again. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Before we saw this movie, I went ahead and I did a sur- uh, informal survey of some of my friends. Um, to be fair, I'm going to say my ethnically diverse friends, because this is very important. I pinged some of my white friends, my black friends, and specifically my Asian friends, and I asked them what they thought of Rumble in the Bronx, at least the ones that had seen it. And to a person, Ethan, every single one of my white black friends, and when I say white and black, I mean Hispanic and every other mix in there. There's some Native American friends in there, too. Um, they all love Rumble in the Bronx. I love it. It was because it was... 99% their first Jackie Chan experience. Mm-hmm. Almost exclusive. It was their first Jackie Chan experience. My Asian friends? Not so much. They didn't really care for this film. Um, because most of them had seen Jackie Chan films before. And I kind of in the middle, where I'd seen my fair share of imported Jackie Chan movies, usually from VHS, usually copies of copies of copies, badly dubbed, badly filmed. You think VHS quality was bad? On a new tape, you should see like a, a fifth-hand copy of a VHS. It's like watching a YouTube video on low bitrate, like a Sega CD game. It wasn't good, but it came through. And I think uh, before that we started recording, you and I were watching some clips from some movies that had just come out prior to Rumble in the Bronx in China. Uh, movies like City Hunter. You know, what else did we watch? City Hunter, you uh, watched Meals on Wheels. Meals on Wheels. That's oh, the 80s, but yeah, it's technically before 96. We had films like that, and you can see the difference almost in quality. But So what made Rumble in the Bronx so important? What made it so uh, pivotal? And why do people love it so much, despite its shortcomings? So I'm going to ask you a question. Let me yeah. put you on the hot spot. Why do you think Rumble in the Bronx, 1996, is so beloved by Americans? Like you said, I think if it's the first time you've ever seen Jackie Chan, you're like, whoa, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, even if you've seen Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan are, uh, I think they're totally different. Uh, oh, they are totally different. Uh, <laughs> so especially, I mean, especially, but, you know, but if, if you've if you've only seen the only Kung Fu martial arts movies you've seen are, you know, Enter the Dragon or The Big Boss or whatever you've seen, Fist of Fury, then you're going to say, okay, that's what your expectations are going to be going into Rebel in the Bronx. You see Rebel in the Bronx and you're like, whoa, this is not that. This mm-hmm. is completely different. First of all, it's very like, even though it's filmed in, in Vancouver, it's, it's no, very... No, man, it's filmed in the Bronx. <laughs> New York City with all the mountains. In, in mountains and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, even though you, it feels like that kind of... It, first of all, it feels very 80s, I think, at least late 80s. Um, that kind of gritty, dirty New York... Which is kind of like its own subgenre of, of film, gritty, I think. Gritty, dirty, but yet still fluorescent. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and honestly, we, I mean, the movie we talked it, about uh, a 
couple months ago now, maybe almost, uh, RoboCop, it kind of had similar sketches, sketchings as RoboCop, especially when you take into account, like, there's, like, the the Leather and Chains gang and all this stuff. Can I say something like, about the gangs yeah. real quick? I, okay, I don't know if you saw my notes, but... So, another thing is the gangs. Can we talk about the gangs real quick? Because oh, yeah. I just want to get this out of the way. Your um, notes were very similar to mine, by the way. Were they? Yeah. They, uh, so... Uh, <laughs> The gangs of Rumble in the Bronx. I think the gangs. This would be like if a space alien had only ever listened to podcasts and then tried to like create an American TV show. Like I think the gangs of this movie are like if someone had never experienced an actual gang, yeah. but only read comic books and played arcade games. Yeah. This is the type of gang they would come up with. So you have these like the most racially diverse gang you've ever... It's basically oh, the village people. Oh, yeah. Woke audiences of, of today would love this gang. Oh, they'd love this gang. Like I said, it's the village people. you got the, the burly black man with the chest. you got the Native American guy with the feather. You know, you got the, the, the generic white guy. you got the leather <laughs> pants with the belts. And all they seem to do is, is ride around in dune buggies and motorcycles stealing candy and soda. Yeah. They're like the, uh, they're like in weird science. They're like that, like biker gang who goes into their house. Yeah. Or, or, or also they reminded me of in, in Back to the Future too. Uh, Griff Tannen's Griff. gang on the hoverboard, the hoverboard gang. Griff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty you bad. Need power. Because they had like power. the Asian guy too. They did, and then if the you and that, if you watch that scene when he's like, "Don't cross the river, river, unless you got power," yeah. and then you see the Asian guy going "ha ha ha" in the background. Um, one of those gangs is Billy Zane, I think, but yeah. um, it's like Crocodile Dundee too. The gangs, like they all have mohawks, or a, the one that really got me was I put Short Circuit Two because yeah, Short I Circuit seen Two. That one. Oh my goodness, I I like that movie a lot, but uh, but it's got this gang called Los Locos. Okay. And if you've seen it, you know you, you're already laughing because Los Locos had this. Um, I don't know whether it's like an intimidating chant or like a nursery rhyme, but when they when they meet you, they start rapping and they start saying nice. like Los Locos kick your eyes, Los Locos kick your face, Los Locos kick your balls into outer space. I don't know if you're supposed to be intimidated by that or laughing, but yeah. but that's what passed for gangs. Yeah, Cobra movies. also is another one that had a... Cobra. <laughs> Just, by the way, we're talking about Sylvester Stallone Cobra, right? Yeah. Not G.I. Joe. Okay, good. Oh, no, yeah, not that. Yeah. Where do you think that started, by the way, real quick? The, uh, that, okay. is that like the oh, Warriors? Warriors. Like oh, yeah. The, okay, oh, I didn't know if, definitely. I didn't know if I was picking up on that, too. That That's where I always thought that. Walter started, Hill, so. are you kidding? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, are you kidding? It's all, it's all the Warriors. The Warriors, okay. the Warriors is such an impactful movie. Yeah. Like, I don't think you could make it today. Yeah, I don't yeah. think like like because the the purpose like the gangs have to be multi ethnic, but at the same time they have to be uh, genre based. Like they all have mm-hmm. to be like targeted. <laughs> I don't think you could yeah. do that. Yeah, it's true. You can't. That's true. And I don't think I'd want them to remake the Warriors. Yeah, that'd be a good one to talk about someday. Yeah, I like. I don't love that movie, but I respect it. I'll say that. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, you're saying so. We're back to this shiny, gritty, fluorescent, uh, gang-ridden New York. Excuse me, Montreal. Excuse me, New York City. I don't know uh-huh. where it's at. So it reminded you of the '80s. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think it was filmed in '94, uh, and it took a couple years, obviously. But uh, yeah, I don't know. You have the game gear in there with no games, as <laughs> I also wrote on my notes. <laughs> the whole movie. It's not like it was one scene they forgot to put the game in. Every time this kid's playing. Well, how do we know it just wasn't some Chinese future system that didn't need yeah. game like the, like 
like the Switch today it doesn't need cartridges. Yeah, you could download that's a, games. That's what I was thinking. I was like, maybe I'm not aware of, of this system, but you know what's funny? That was not the only movie to feature the Game Gear in that time. There was a another movie also kung fu driven called Surf Ninjas. Oh yeah. Did you ever see Surf Ninjas? Rob Schneider, yeah. Rob Schneider. Yep, yeah. Surf Ninjas, what, where the, the Game Gear games came to life, pretty much. Yeah, I so, forgot about that movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah when I, was, I saw that when I was a kid. I couldn't tell you anything about it now. For those who don't know, there was a lot of video game movies back in the early 90s. A lot. And they were yeah. all bad. Yeah. All of them. Not a good one among them. The Wizard was good. I like The Wizard. Yeah, but that doesn't count as 90s, That's though. just 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's more of a movie about games as opposed yeah. to based on games. Yeah. So... We talked about that on this podcast. Yeah. Another episode you can listen to by downloading and rating. So yeah. So anyway, we're talking about the 80s. We're talking about the 90s. We're talking about gangs. So, uh, so again, I'll ask a question again but with a different accent. So why do you think people that were not of the Chinese persuasion really like this movie? As opposed, because... A little context. The biggest, one of the biggest action stars of the day was Van Damme. You know, again, we have you. You basically have Sylvester Stallone trying comedy, Arnold Schwarzenegger getting ready to go into politics. So, why do you think this movie of all things was the one that finally did it for Jackie Chan? Um, well, yeah, I think it definitely uh, tapped into the like the American styles stylistics, um, and. I mean, he's funny in it. I, I mean, I don't think anyone had seen anyone who was at that point um, who was that talented on on a athletic level, but then was also that funny. I mean, like you can talk about the old silence, like you know Charlie Chaplin, uh, Buster Keaton, and stuff, Harold Lloyd. But um, I mean, since then, like who else was doing it on this level where they were doing comedy and action? You know. You brought up Harold Lloyd. Harold Lloyd doesn't get enough credit today. Everyone talks about Buster oh, yeah. Keaton and Fred Astaire, but Harold Lloyd is a master of film. <laughs> and have you have you seen any of his stuff, like any of his long form stuff? Uh, no, I've seen a couple of his uh, single or, or two reels. Yeah, I've ever seen any of his longer stuff. It holds up really well if you could find a good copy of it, because a lot of it's yeah. badly made. But yeah, if you're out there listening, Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd, there's your weekend. Go look him yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, I was telling you, too, about, uh, before we start recording, about, uh, like, Dick Van Dyke and, like, you were saying Fred Astaire. Like, those mm-hmm. guys did it, but I wouldn't call it, that's not action, though, right? That's that's dancing and, yeah. and you know, it, it's not the same thing as, like, someone trying to climb up a clock or, like, <laughs> trying to, you know, um, it, the, the, the objective is different. It's um I, I agree with you, and a lot of people don't know this, but Jackie Chan actually was a trained uh, Chinese opera star. And when he was a child, he was put into a very famously, it's a very famous story, he was put into basically Chinese opera school while his parents went to Australia, I think it was. And he spent 10 years there. It's where he honed his skills and, and was classically trained, not only, you know, I don't want to know if martial arts is the right word, Ethan, but cinematically themed martial arts. Yeah. And also there was, he's a, trained to sing, trained to be a performer. And the idea was that he would be a Chinese opera star. And at the this would be like what late sixties. This would be the birth of the Hong Kong cinema, and the timing was great because this is exactly when Bruce Lee was becoming famous around the world. So the the timing is fortuitous, and we could talk about Bruce Lee and we could talk about the connections between Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan all day long. Um, but our non Jackie Chan fanatics out there listening, we get bored and change the channel. But 
I will say this. It's an awesome history, and it's one of those things where almost like a perfectly set up domino board, if one piece was out of place, it may not have happened. Mm-hmm. But it did, and it's pretty fantastic, and it's a lot of fun. It, I recommend reading it. Um, so you said no one had ever seen it before, but that wasn't true because we had seen Jackie Chan because there had been many – well, several attempts to bring him to America all failed. Yeah. But they were American. They were American attempts. And it's funny because a lot of them. Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, but a lot of the stuff that the attempts that failed were, um, at least a couple that I've seen. I mean, I saw one that was not great. But uh, I, I'm not as versed, well versed on Jackie Chan as you are. I've seen a handful of his movies, but um, a lot of them are better though. The Hong Kong one. Oh yeah. Well, the Hong like the, you, the Hong like Kong stuff is different. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the two movies I want to talk about real quick and very quickly because they both stink. Uh, were The Big Brawl from 1980. Uh, That was the first attempt to bring Jackie Chan to America. And basically, they said, let's just recreate Bruce Lee, which was a mistake. They even got the same director, the same producers, the same crew. Even the great Lalo Lalo Schrifen, who I love, love, love him to death. I don't know if if you know him by by name, but if you don't, um, he did Enter the Dragon, but he also did Rush Hour, and he's done like a hundred different movies. Okay. I think he did. Um, I think he did the first Dirty Harry or the second one. Hmm. He's great. Like he's fantastic. I love Leo Schiffer. He's just awesome. But the movie was a turd, and the movie's a turd because I'm beginning to think that Robert Klaus was a bad director. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's great in Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon has some really, really well directed. Well, scenes, you but, know, um, I mean, I'm trying to think of what, what else did Robert Klaus do? Did he do one of the Superman movies? Uh, no, but he did, very I mean, famously, he did Jim Cotta. Okay. If you know what Jim Cotta is, you're laughing your balls off right now. I don't know Jim Cotta. Uh, Jim Cotta may be, may be the most transparently stupid, stupid decision to fuse martial arts with gymnastics. Uh, huh. Is this a movie? <laughs> yes. Jim Cotta. Uh, Starring Olympic gold gymnast Kurt Thomas, who oh, yeah. combines his gymnastic ability with martial arts to enter a deadly competition. And there's this great scene in Jim Cotta, right? There's this great scene where he's all these bad guys are coming. He's in the middle of the forest or the woods. And what happens to be sitting there in the middle of the forest but a horse, like a, a gymnast horse. And he gets on there and he does these gymnastic moves. Oh, yeah. And the guy look, – look, look, Kurt Thomas seems like a nice guy, right? But this movie is so preposterously stupid that you kind of have to watch it out of just curiosity. But but Robert Klaus, he also did another attempt to bring in martial arts star. He did uh, China O'Brien starring Cynthia Rothrock. And Cynthia Rothrock was interesting because she was – this is weird. She's a white girl from America who got her start doing martial art movies in Hong Kong Mm -hmm. with Michelle Yeoh. Now, you know who Michelle Yeoh is, Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And, by the way, Michelle Yeoh, love Michelle Yeoh. We could talk about Michelle Yeoh all day long. But but Robert Klaus, and when I was reading um, when I was reading about Bruce Lee years and years ago, there was all this talk about how, like, we talked about this before, he didn't like the Hong Kong directors. He didn't like the way their, their style was. He felt it was obsolete. Yeah. And he had learned a lot from American directors, but End of the Dragon was his first real American movie, his first real American production. I'm beginning to wonder if he, if if the parts that we love are more to him than it was Robert Klaus, because nothing Robert Klaus has ever done has been anywhere as as good as End of the Dragon. Yeah. Black Belt Jones. Is that one. Um, I mean, you have 
your cast is great. You have John Saxon, Bruce Lee, uh, Jim Kelly. I love Out of the Dragon. I, I want it to be one of the movies we talk about on this podcast, yeah. but but it's very I'm, I'm holding off. I'm holding Just off. Just the, the mere scene alone, it's like it's funny. Like There are some directors who do a, an amazing movie, and then after that or even before or after that, it's like how well, did it was it's like a divine intervention allowed them to make something and then or <laughs> didn't intervene after <laughs> or it could be a milli vanilli situation of which the real I talent was thinking that too, and yeah. and and this has happened before you remember poltergeist um yeah with toby hooper yeah yeah you look at you look at poltergeist and look you look at toby hooper and you look at everything toby hooper has done before poltergeist and you look at everything he's done after and nothing approaches the quality of poltergeist nothing yeah. And then you start like Texas. It's all. It's very a lot unvarnished. It's like Poltergeist is very clean. Or what's the what's the special effect movie he did for Canon? You know the crazy one he did for Canon. What's it called? Um, Oh goodness, I I know this movie by heart. I just watched it a couple weeks ago. Uh, Give me one second here. See, this is we're film fans, but we're not film encyclopedias. Yeah, yeah. Life Force. Oh, Life Force. Um, Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah, Life Force is a mess. I like it. I like it, but it's not a good movie. It's not. Yeah. But you watch Poltergeist, and you're like, this is a Spielberg film. This is a this yeah. looks and feels and acts and sounds like a Spielberg film. Well, even like Mario Bava, I don't know if you if you know a lot about Italian stuff, but Mario Bava used to kind of basically just direct. He would be the editor of a movie, but he would essentially direct like ninety percent of a lot of his earlier movies. Really? The direct, yeah. And, and, and you can see, and I mean, a lot of times, you know, the legacy of the former director is still there, but, um, it still makes it a way better movie it, than it could have been. It feels like a parent who's helping their child do homework and they keep, yeah. and they're like, no, Billy, do it like this. No, like this. Yeah. And next thing you know, <laughs> Billy's got the greatest science project ever because the father really did it. And yeah. it just feels like that because nothing he's done, like the brawl is so poor and so boring and so uncharismatic. You look at Bruce, you look at Jackie Chan in this movie and he's he's a nothing. He's a non-entity. And you look at like his other American movie was Cannibal Run. Mm-hmm. Back when back when the eighties movies would just shove every actor into one film and they would just coast on the on the charisma of their stars. Yeah. It, death race. And to to its credit, I mean, they wanted Jackie Chan because he was a he was a person, but of course he played a Japanese guy who made mm-hmm. who made faces, but it didn't work. Like these movies didn't work, and it would it wouldn't be till oh my goodness, fifteen years later when Rumble in the Bronx when it finally hit. Now yeah. I have a theory about this. I have a theory, and here's my theory. My theory was is that it was all a setup. So you have mm-hmm. dim- you have Dimension Films, you have New Line Cinema, right? And I think yeah. they kind of knew where the world was turning. They knew that Hong Kong and Chinese cinema was going to become big. But they also knew there were markets. You needed to merge the markets. And I think if you go back and piece together the clues, you can kind of see this in happening. So you look at Rumble in the Bronx. Now, look at all the Jackie Chan movies that have come out prior to Rumble in the Bronx. Uh, varying, varying degrees of quality, but let me just name a couple. You have Twin Dragons. You have Super Cop, a.k.a. Police Story 3, which would eventually come over here later. You know, you have City Hunter, which you and I looked at before, aka the one with where Jackie Chan plays Chun Li. Um, you have all you have all these movies. You have Drunken Master Two, which many consider his best movie ever. But none of these movies, uh, each one of these movies contains better effects and better stories than Rumble in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. But Rumble in the Bronx is different. And I'll tell you why. Here's why I think it is. 
it is very deliberately a movie that seems designed for Western audiences and Chinese audiences. And you look at the cast, which is multi-ethnic. You look at the location, which is which is uh, the Bronx, which is heavily you know African American. You look at the action. You look at the way things are, and it looks like a movie that was designed to introduce Jackie Chan hesitantly to American audiences. Like you can understand it. The people look like you. Things, these these situations look like you. And the storyline is completely forgettable. Can we just go over the storyline real quick? Um, yeah. So Jackie, excuse me, uh, he plays what Kyung. So he he comes to New York, uh, meets his uncle Bill, uncle, uncle. Uh, who's getting married, uh, and then he's selling his store. So he gets to the he gets to the store. He he meets his uncle, and he meets his uncle's wife, who is gasp African American, um, but she's very friendly and she wins everyone over. Then he meets the new store owner, uh, played by Anita. Is it Anita Mew? Mew? Let me. See. I don't want to get her name. I don't wrong. remember her name. Okay, she's important though for this movie, and I'll explain okay. why. Because I'm about to ruin your day with a very sad story. Oh no. Yeah, I know. I know. Get ready for the tissues. Yeah, Anita Mew. So her sister had actually acted with Jackie Chan before in Police Story 2. So she had two sisters. Anita Mew was a very, very famous singer in China. Uh, there's a scene called Canto Pop. They, according to Wikipedia, they called her the Madonna of Hong Kong. But I've seen some of her stuff. She's a great singer. She's very cute, too. She's very, like You would call cute as a button. Or as, But I'll just say this. A friend of mine says, but no ass. So if you're out there listening, that's for you. But she's buying the store, uh, and of course the the cartoon biker gangs come in, and Jackie Chan and his muscles have to fend them off by squirting things in their face and jump kicking them and avoiding knives. And eventually he uh, he upsets the gang. They come after him, and meanwhile, for no reason, diamond thieves show up, and then, yeah. and these two stories get stitched together with a disabled boy who gets thrown around like a bag of trash. <laughs> God bless Hong Kong movies. Um, Number one. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get into that. And eventually Jackie Chan uh, beats the hell out of the biker gang, which convinces them that he's good. They join his forces. They take on the biker gang, get on a hovercraft, and embarrass the bad guy by stripping him naked. Yeah. And then freeze frame, literally, and that's the movie. And there's not much to the story. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of set pieces, uh, which I think is... A highlight, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, I think uh, the ability of Jackie Chan to take something as mundane as a parking garage and something as uh, as I thought was pretty cool as this like underground man cave, and they're both <laughs> equal as far as how well he executes the action yeah, sequences. Exactly. Um, I mean, the finale of the parking garage is this balloon or the bouncy ball truck just exploding. Hover excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. As the rocker. Pointed out, hovercraft. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. It's, <laughs> so, so <laughs> I mean, I mean, you, you got you got a lot of awesome. You get the grocery store fight scenes and mm -hmm. like the you know it's like enter enter locale here and then do something with it. Exactly, um, exactly. Which the, is so cool. I mean, that's like that's like his. That's what he does. And and to be fair, the fights in this movie are fun. They're not bad. Oh yeah. They're, the choreography is really fun. Uh, it's nowhere it's nowhere as good as his earlier stuff as far as speed, but it's nowhere mm. as bad as his later stuff would be. So it's it's somewhere in the middle, but it's accessible. You can see what's going on, and it's fun. And let's be fair, uh, in this cartoonish version of New York, you know, there's a, the only really violent scene besides the scene when the guy gets thrown in the wood chipper. Uh, by the way, <laughs> interesting fact: two movies from 1996. 
prominently featured wood chippers. This in Fargo. Yeah. That's yep. right. I saw that you put the Yeah, this in Fargo. Yeah, the the uh the wood chipper scene I almost I just wanted to see it happen. Yeah, but you but again, it always cuts away because a lot of people don't know that Jackie Chan kind of has a rule. He doesn't really show graphic violence. Yeah. He never swears. Like he's he's very much chaste. And I always wondered why this movie was rated R as a child growing up, but I'll tell you this. I did feel a little uncomfortable like when they threw the B word around a little bit. And yeah, with the bad, well, the, the bad guys, right? So. Yeah, like, well, the bad guys say, you know, they call a couple characters the B word. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. it here. But it, it felt like it was too much for this movie because at other times the bad guys would say friggin'. Yeah. And <laughs> like, what the heck? Exactly. And then there's a couple F-bombs, but it just seems like if you didn't have to have those and the movie could have easily been PG-13. Yeah, it might have just been an improv and then they kept it in because the take was good or something. Yeah, it just feels weird. But um, But anyway... Uh, Jackie Chan, uh, you know, sometimes dressed in his mom jeans or in his little yeah. onesie. The onesie you, was great. Or his onesie. Like, he, he'll, you know, he does this and he beats the bad guys and he convinces everyone that, <laughs> that we can all just get along with the power yeah. of his fist. And so the story's not much. There's not much there. Yeah. And so, but going back to it, <clears throat> I was talk, talking to our producer, Chris. Chris, if you're listening, I know you agree. They, um, the scene in the grocery mart, where he first busts out his moves when they first try to rob the store. Mm-hmm. If you watch, there's a scene when after it's done and the music starts swelling, there's a really skinny black guy who comes out of the background. Mm-hmm. And he comes and goes, yeah, man, look at that. How'd you do that? Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's us. That's the audience. Yeah, you, yeah, totally. If you listen to me, he's like, how'd you do that? He's so excited. He's like, I ain't never seen this before. <laughs> and you realize that's exactly what this movie was. Yeah. This movie found just the right amount of Jackie Chan to put in an otherwise generic film. Yeah. And if because if you watch these other Hong Kong films, it's way too much. If you grew up with Jackie Chan, you're cool with this. But maybe if you're just Joe Schmo from Kokomo, like what's what's going on? I don't understand. Like it's too much. But this movie is just enough American, excuse me, New York and Hong Kong and you see the excitement on this guy's face. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you something. I was that guy. I remember being so so excited that I could finally see a Jackie Chan movie in the theater. I'd only seen his movies on VHS. Only seen them, like like I told you, triple dubbed. Triple, terrible, terrible quality. And it was so much fun to finally go to the theater and see a big screen Jackie Chan movie. And I was willing to accept whatever the hell I could get because I'd never seen anything like that before in the theater. And it's a good movie. It's fun. We had People, yeah. people were laughing. And I saw all sorts of people there. And because if I were to take my tape, if I were to take Twin Dragons, right, or mm-hmm. Drunken Master, or, you know, Meals on Wheels or whatever, and show somebody, they get bored really quickly. Because you know how that is. We've all been that person, like, the over-enthusiastic nerd. Dude, you got to listen to this track, man. This band's so awesome. It'll change your life. Like, okay, I'm going to hate yeah. this, aren't I? Like I, I will say, police story is very accessible for a nonstop uh, martial arts movie. That's it, it, police story. I think is up there with Dragon uh, Drunken Master too as his best. But yeah. but it's at the time it was hard to find a copy that wasn't bad. Oh, okay. Because you watch it and the dubbing is atrocious. Like like how are you doing? That's pretty good. That's pretty. Yeah, good. Oh I, yeah, I yeah. watched I watched it with the subtitles, which mm-hmm. I if you're gonna watch it for the first time, I recommend doing the um, subtitles. Rumble in the Bronx was the first American movie where he dubbed himself. 
because yeah. his, his English had gotten better to the point where it could you could understand him. Mm-hmm. I believe he went back and redubbed a lot of his old films too, okay. because some of them are really bad. Like they're it's when you it's like listening to Arnold Schwarzenegger's dubber in uh, Hercules oh, in New York. Yeah, it's like how are you doing there? Oh, that's Arnold's pretty strong. good. Yeah, exactly. It's like you can't do this. Yeah, no. Um, but speaking of dubbing, so let's talk about this real quick. So people don't like watching dubbed movies because, you know, one of the tropes of Hong Kong films is they're dubbed and people talk like this, you know, and they, the words don't match the mouth. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, that's and the, the time, the timing of the, of the banter's off and, 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 and sometimes they remove even like some of the background noise and redo yeah. the background noise, which I think is the biggest detriment to it can be. Movies. Well, yeah. that's, that's why you hear a lot of movies where they use, they use the same sound effects. Yeah, because they don't have access to the the sound libraries of the Hong Kong, where they would they would actually like go out and record them hitting something. It wasn't all the holy art. Yeah, yeah. You you hit a rock is the same sound effect you hit somebody in the face. You know. <laughs> psh, psh, psh. Yeah. Well, well, some of the uh, the worst, some of the not as good movies are um, the dubbing can make it more enjoyable. For instance, like Big Boss, uh, Bruce Lee's. That's not a great movie, but. The ending is awesome, but the movie, the dubbing makes the movie more entertaining. Same with Fist of Fury, uh, his earlier two movies that uh, the kung fu movies. Yes, but, exactly. Um, but yeah, but if you're watching a good movie, like Police Story is a really good movie, and if you watch the, I didn't watch it dubbed, but if you watched it dubbed, I can see how it would take something away from that movie. Well, and they would also cut things out. And if you've ever yeah. watched the Cantonese, excuse me, the, the Chinese version of Rubble in the Bronx, it's a different movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's they've taken out a lot of the comedy scenes because okay. I think Chinese comedy doesn't always translate well, and yeah. and so it's 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 a, it's the same movie but it's different. It's differently paced, and you could tell like there's attempts to make it more serious. Like the the scene when uh, Jackie goes back to his house at the very beginning with his Uncle Bill and he starts pounding on the the wooden horse like yeah, and Bill's like oh you've kept up. If you watch the scene in the American version. They they show Uncle Bill walk in and he does this wide eye look and they cut it because it's like oh he's magic, but in the Chinese version he smiles because yeah. he's like oh you kept up like it's different mm-hmm. like oh you're so impressive versus oh because we find out you f- you find out if you listen that he's the son of other martial art people, so yeah. it, it becomes one of watching an awe to watching an honor. It builds the world differently. It's very different. Yeah. You know, and but in the American version, you're told like the movie wants you to think Jackie Chan is Superman. Like yeah. it keeps telling you how cute he is. It keeps telling you how yeah. muscly he is. You know, it keeps t- it keeps reminding you how great he is. Yeah. And to be fair, they do that in Marvel movies too. Yeah. They do that. They're like, oh, he's so handsome. He's so cute. Wow, she's so awesome. I mean, if a movie has to tell you that, then there's a problem. Yeah. The first Thor was literally just that. The whole mm-hmm. movie was that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, won't somebody think of the men and their sexist treatment? But someone should call Scarlett Johansson. But going back to this, though, um, going back to this, I, to continue my theory, though, let me finish this off. So the, we get the skinny black guy who's so excited, and I told yeah. you he's sort of the surrogate for us because That's I got to tell you. Point, yeah. But he is, and I've met people like that. I got to tell you, you know what we did after we saw Rumble in the Bronx? I'm going to embarrass myself. I was with two friends. We had we had walked to the theater. It was in 1996. We didn't have a car because we we're all losers. So we were walking home, and we went to the Chinese restaurant. We got some pork fried, I forget what we had, uh, chicken fingers because they were cheap. And we just started like play fighting because we were like two of us were actually taking martial arts at the time. 
and we were training and we were just having so much fun because it's so energetic. You just have to get up and move. Like it's, it's that exciting. It's that much fun. It's, and you felt, you felt relieved when you saw a movie like this because there was no angst. You didn't feel bad. You felt happy. Like that's why they, that's why they leave movies on the freeze frame. And so, but, but going back to this though, um, we got to get something out of the way. And that is a lot of people, when they talk about foreign movies, they say, I don't want to read the subtitles. And I get it. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to read the subtitles. Get it. I don't like reading subtitles either sometimes. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's hard to watch the action if you're exactly subtitles, Exactly. Yeah. So I get it. So they dub movies, and I get it. But Rumble in the Bronx is very particularly badly dubbed. Um, mm. But in a good way, <laughs> because it's funny. So <laughs> yeah. I have compiled a clip of the best dubbing from this movie. <laughs> so, so it's only a couple seconds, so... Sit back and listen to this amazing dubbing from Rumble in the Bronx. Here we go. Hi, Ken. Good moves. You're number one. Ooh, whoa, look at that. Ooh, I wish Uncle Bill had your muscle. Ooh, and you're handsome, too. Thank you. Hey, remember, don't scratch it or anything. Just relax. I'll treat you like my baby. You're gonna die. What the hell do you think you're doing? My sister... She fixed up your wounds and undressed you, too. Don't let your situation change you. You have to change it. You're right. I need some time to change. Hi. Hey, can I help you? Ice cream, please? Sure. Here's your ice cream. Thank you very much. You are all garbage. I don't know what you're thinking. You can spend the rest of your life beating up people and robbing them. Why lower yourself? Don't you know you're the scum of society? Not really. What about the last time they threw a grenade to the crowd? You better be careful. So it's, it's like Tommy Wiseau was calling the shots. You called them. it too. That's what I was gonna say. It's like here's what we ha- here's what we did. Like, can I have some ice cream? Sure, you can. Here's your ice cream. Thank you. Bye. You're my favorite customer. Here's what, here's what I think happened. Ready? I think when Tommy Wiseau was coming to America, you know, from whatever planet he came from, the first movie he saw was Rumble in the Bronx, and he's sitting there going, "Hey, he's like, hey, I could make movie. I could make movie like this." And he thought this was how people talk, yeah, because and that's, that's a great that explains everything. Because if you that's think about it, you could listen to this and and the room, and there is no difference in cadence. Yeah. Like, how about this? How about this? Like, don't change. Don't worry about change. You need time to change. You're right. I need time to change. Like, it's, just, it's circular logic. They're cutting each other, like, because the timing is all different. They have to fit in the lines between the cuts, so they have to <laughs> cut each other off sometimes. It's, it's so yeah. weird. And, you know, yeah. and there are some, you know, let's just say, call it what it is, some culturally insensitive stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like, all the white guys sound like morons. Like, you're gonna die! You know? <laughs> it's like... Am I supposed to be intimidated by you? The, the main bad guy with the little curly hair who looks like a sitcom dad. Yeah, he he was his his gape on his mouth was ridiculous. Every time he did something where he had to open his mouth wider than two inches, <laughs> I mean, like what do you think you're doing? Yeah, he's like, yeah. And he like moves, <laughs> he contorts his jaw to the oh. side. I'm like, what is happening? With you, this guy? you ready for you ready for you to hate yourself? That guy's dead. <laughs> No way, really? He died on the set of a Crow movie, of a Crow series. Did you know that? Of the, uh, Really? Yeah. Wow. He died on the set of the Crow Stairway to Heaven. How did? Why are so many people dying on Crow franchise movies? It's a good thing Jackie Chan never remade the Crow. So, wow. 
But no, it's true. He died on the crow. Um, wow. but, but uh, Mark Ackerstream. Mark Ackerstream, yeah. Wow. And the I guy who played know. Angelo, you know the you're gonna die. Yeah. He's a he's a stunt guy. He uh he's been in the Mission Impossible movies. I think he doubles for Daniel Craig as well. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, he's that's you know cool. that's that's no surprise. I mean, you know Jackie yeah, Chan I... and stunt people. Yeah. So um, he does love stun people because he is one. But uh, yeah. but I was gonna say Anita Mui, uh, who's cute as a button, flat ass. Um, but I will say the one thing though, she died at age forty. Did you know huh. this? A lot of people from this movie are dead. Uh, Anita Mui, she died of was it pancreatic cancer? And mm. what's really sad? You ready for this? Her her sister, Anne Mui, also died at age forty of pancreatic cancer. Wow, isn't that sad? That's, that's terrible. Yeah, that's that is sad. That's, yeah. that's crazy. And they were both in Jackie Chan movies. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. It's that's just crazy. Yeah, that's that's a small world sometimes. Um, yeah. But no one else really stands out from the crowd except for uh, the kid who played Danny Morgan. Oh Lamb. yeah. Uh, yeah. So and Francois Yip. Francois. She's yeah. In, she's in some other stuff. Francois Yip. Yeah, she's eh, she wasn't. Not that nothing good. like nothing amazing, but some Jet Li stuff. I said. What was, um, she, what was she in? Romeo Must Die, I think she was in. Was she in Romeo Must Die? Mm-hmm. Really? I recognized her in the movie. I, she was in something, and then she's also in uh, this, I think, the second Alien vs. Predator. Oh, wow. And she another Predator movie, oh. the newest Predator movie, I think. She maybe? was in Blade Trinity. Yikes. Yeah, that's right, too. Yeah, Blade Trinity. She's in some random stuff. She's in The Predator. Wow, she's in yeah, a lot of stuff. She's really in a lot of stuff. Yeah. I recognized her. Like, I saw her, and I was like, whoa, she... Uh yeah, she was in an episode of Earth Final Conflict. Um, I lo- I love her. I love what her uh, her build uh, role in Romeo Must Die. She was motorcycle fighter. Yeah, because she was also she... a motorcycle fighter in this yeah. in this movie. Yeah, she did the same thing. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like wow, when you you know when you find a when you find your niche, you stick with it. Yeah, you got to do it. But yeah, well, she needs time to change. Yeah. So. But I will say this though, uh, but no one really stood out other than uh, Bill Tong, of course, is Uncle Bill. Mm-hmm. Oh and yeah, he well he was in uh, he's, he's in, in everything. Some, oh uh, he's in stuff. he's in Pl- I think he's in Police Story. He's in yeah. Um, and you have to be careful with Police Story because a lot of the Police Story movies were renamed as other films. Yeah. Like uh, we talked about Super Cop, which is Police Story three. Literally, yeah. And so, which also was Michelle Yeoh was in that, which was great. Mm-hmm. Which was redubbed and came out after Rumble in the Bronx. Same director. Same director, and it's a better movie, by the way. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a more authentically Jackie Chan movie. Yeah. Where you know Jackie well, I know Chan. Some some people said that's their favorite Jackie Chan movie. Supercop. Yeah. Oh, I, I love I've it. I've heard a couple of people say that. It's very good. It's um, but it's right when he was when he was still a little younger and he could still move like that. Mm-hmm. Because he's forty something in this movie, and I mean he looks great and everything, but he's he's at that he's at that time, and like I said, he's right about to bust into America and. When you look at the dynamics, the racial dynamics of this film, uh, you go back to you go back to um, End of the Dragon, and you look at uh, Robert Klaus, and Robert Klaus would direct a lot of uh, movies starring non-white actors, specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what's his name? Oh, I, I have their names on the top of my head. I forget what it is. Jim uh, Kelly. Jim Kelly, and yeah. also you know you have all this, and the relationship between like African Americans and the Chinese when it comes to cinema is very interlinked. Um, mm-hmm. There's a huge overlap where there's sort of fandom for each other, and to yeah. this, I mean, specifically as it comes to poor black to poor black film fans, specifically as they love kung fu, they love Hong Kong films, 
And there's a whole subgenre of that. I mean, why do you think rappers still call themselves grandmasters? Yeah, and you RZA, know, RZA is a huge. Uh, oh, he's huge. Uh, he, I mean, yeah. like Man in the Iron Fist. Well, Absolutely. And, and uh, who's the actor? There's an actor on on uh, Warrior, um, the new. Speaking of Bruce Lee, the one that yeah. produced by his daughter. Um, I can blank in on Perry Young. I think his name. Do you like? He, do you like the Warrior? Everyone's who's watched those. Co- they I've only it. seen the first couple episodes. I'm not a huge TV guy, uh, but I watched the first couple because it's. I'm from the Bay Area, and it's, a, mm-hmm. it's set in uh, San Francisco, and. It was cool. They, yeah, um, I liked it. The action was great. I think. Well, they rebooted. Um, they just rebooted Kung Fu, and they completely crapped all over it. Yeah, and it's really yeah. sad because those are both from the same well spring. Of yeah, Bruce Lee, so. totally. Yeah, Bruce Lee t- t- kind of thing. Yeah, but well, so um, yeah, so Warrior, the uh, the guy Perry Young, he was he's from Oakland, mm-hmm. and um, he's a Chinese American, mm-hmm. and uh, he said when he was young, he you know he'd get bullied by because he was. He was of Asian descent. He'd get bullied mm-hmm. a lot of times by the uh, inner city black people. He said, but after um, Bruce Lee was was started to get popular, they started looking at us differently. Like, they're yeah. like, whoa, do you know this? Do you know martial arts? Like, can you teach us martial arts? And he was like, I knew martial arts, and I made a lot of black friends just yeah. because I would, you know, got them into martial arts. And, and it really uh, kind of created a, like a – well, Oakland, um, Oakland's a city known for that sort of turmoil, like the yeah. inner, inner inner city turmoil. Well, and Bruce and Bruce Lee had his uh, had his uh, his dojo mm-hmm. there. Yeah. By the way, uh, just so, just so people know, Bruce Lee born in the United States. Yeah, born in San Francisco. So go figure. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So, yeah, but, it's, but so it's interesting how the yeah the culture is kind of um, well, yeah. This, Unity. Uh, like I said, we we said we talk about Enter the Dragon later, and I will because I I could dedicate two episodes to that. Mm-hmm. But long story short, though, you look at the the multiracial cast where the the, the white guy was the worst one of all, and I love uh, what's his face in that movie, um, Saxon. I love John Saxon, but he's awesome, yeah. but he's not a martial artist, and yeah. but Jim Kelly's awesome, and Bruce Lee's awesome, and everybody's awesome, and then you go to this movie, it took what two baby twenty something years, and you yeah. finally have a movie where Jackie Chan's the star. But the the multi-ethnic cast is important because I think I think when this movie was designed to come to America, I, they were probably already dreaming of Rush Hour, and I think this set the stage for what Rush Hour would become, which would become a yeah. which you know one of the biggest hits of the late '90s, the first American film to open with two minority leads, and you know just it would just it would set every it would change Hollywood, and that's yeah. kind of what I wanted to say about this. I don't know if you uh, agree or, or disagree, mm-hmm. but Rumble in the Bronx changed Hollywood. It opened up the doors, not just for the idea that you could have these action films starring you know these types of casts, but once Americans saw this type of action, they weren't going to go back to what they had. Like yeah. you go back and watch action movies before, even God bless Sylvester Stallone stuff, they really weren't operatic. They were just punch, 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 kick, 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 but they weren't like yeah. this. Yeah, you 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 see a lot of well, it's all it's on it's set on your own turf too. It's not some you know exotic locale or mm-hmm. you know uh, in the middle of some island or whatever, or Hong Kong or Thailand or whatever. Exactly. It's it's set in a you know a pretty pretty excuse me New York. <laughs> you know, and, and for all intents and purposes, you know, it gets the job done. It, yeah. It's New York ish, as a lot of movies were filmed in ish. Vancouver. It's New York New enough. York. It's yeah. enough. So, I mean, you have that, and they, and I also wanted to uh, make a comparison to um, somebody who's not as nearly as good as Jackie Chan, but Tom Cruise. I think took yeah. a lot of influence from this guy, and you see how Tom Cruise's 
and I think you can make a case that he's the biggest star of the last 30 years, uh, movie star. And Well, um, you're right, though. You're right, but I, let's add something to that. Jackie Chan's favorite actor was Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. And Stallone and Jackie Chan became enormous friends, and they've, mm-hmm. they've actually worked together on other projects, but nothing big. And you look at someone, like, you're right, you look at someone like uh, Tom Cruise, and you, Tom Cruise has essentially went from being childhood actor to yeah. uh, romantic lead to basically becoming Jackie Chan. He's become yeah. known for doing his own stunts. Did his own stunts. He even just the way their film, like, you know, Jackie Chan's famous for, you know, always having his back against the wall. He always had, he wouldn't give himself the disadvantage. Tom Cruise does that a lot. Um, you see him get hurt. You see him get his head beat against the wall. I mean, he doesn't do it as often as or as dedicatedly as, as Jackie Chan does. But And also, you see a lot of, there's le- a lot less cuts in a Tom Cruise, a lot of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if you have the right director, you know, I mean, he's had uh, Brian De Palma, John Woo. Well, like I actually, you're, you're actually more right than I think you think you are. Because I think when you look at the, when you look at 94, you had... Mm-hmm. Right before Rumble in the Bronx, you had an attempt to bring John Woo over with Hard Target with yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme. And then all of a sudden, you had you had Hong Kong directors flood the market. And it wasn't just one. It wasn't just uh, John Woo, but you also had Ang Lee. You had uh, – what's his name? Sui. What's his name? Wong oh, Kar Wai. Wong Kar Wai, but uh, Sui Hark. Okay, sorry. Yeah. But you had these action films. And, of course, Ang Lee would eventually go a different way, but yeah. – but at the same time, also produced the number one action film of all time with, uh, I guess if you call it action, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah, yeah. But but the biggest star, though, of all, like I said, you had, um, did John Woo do Mission Impossible 2? He did the second one, yeah. Yeah, the second one, which was like the second biggest box office movie of the year. Yeah, and it's not as good as the first one no, or no. even the third one. It's probably the worst in the series, actually. I, but I, I think most people consider it the worst. It's fun, though. But it's fun, I but think. it but it also change the directory of the films to be more action-oriented. Yeah, exactly. And you see, yeah, it, the first one was very Brian De Palma. I think it was Brian De Palma, right? I yes. Mean, okay, cool. I make sure I'm not sound like an idiot. But, yeah, it's very much like that, you know, uh, altruistic kind of thing. And then you have the second one, and it's very much like, yeah, explosions and this and that. And it's almost has this martial arts underbelly and to dubs it. by the way dubs and pigeons because yeah. you can't have a john woo movie without dubs and pigeons yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's, a, pigeons. it's a thing it's yeah, a thing long he, he but even tom cruise's hair in the second one he has like that long the uh the long uh, kind of jackie chan-esque hairstyle well again when you again when once you've seen jackie chan or should i say once you've seen this action and it became accessible you can't go back that would yeah. that that would be I hate to I hate to make the comparison because it's not apt, but it's sort of like after you see color films, you're, you're not going to accept black and white for everything. You yeah. know, after you have sound, you're not going to go back to sub. You know, you're not going to go back to silent. Yeah. Like there's a change. Like um, when you look at if you ever watch the special features for Jurassic Park, and you have you know our guy, um, uh, oh, what's his name, Phil Tippett, the guy who did the mm-hmm. effects for RoboCop and everything. He was paid, and he created the effects for Jurassic Park, and you can see the animatics when he did the stop motion. But once once Spielberg and them they saw what CG could do, they had to break the news to Phil Tippett. They didn't need his stuff, and that must have been groundbreaking. And even Phil Tippett would say, "I'm extinct," because once you see the future, you don't go backwards. So, and I think once you saw Jackie Chan specifically, once you saw what what fights could look like in movies, it became irresistible. Like you can't. It's you want more. Oh yeah, yeah. And a lot of directors didn't understand how to do it properly. I think um, 
you know, they cut, made too many cuts or whatever it is. But, um, yeah, you, but when you get it right though, um, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, uh, with it, I think. Well, you know, I would say the biggest success story, and I told you this before, was uh, Yun Wo Ping. Yun Wo Ping, mm-hmm. while not necessarily in Rumble of the Bronx, he was he was he's worked with Jackie Chan many many times, and once he you know he made that transition over, Jackie Chan sort of led the charge. And once it became acceptable to start having these Chinese directors and these Chinese choreographers, and to see this action, to see what the influence of Chinese cinema could be, for two reasons. For two reasons, one, it made the movies better. But second of all, it also made the American movies more palatable to Chinese audiences because the Chinese box office would eventually surpass the United States. Um, some might say that relationships become too incestuous. I agree. I agree. I don't think you know. I don't. I don't like seeing like John Cena apologize for talking about you know Taiwan, or I don't like having American movies cut because they might be offensive. That's a little different. Yeah. But on the other hand, I do like seeing kick-ass action from Chinese movies make their way over here because it's made American movies better. Um, can you imagine what, okay, like for example, uh, Yun Wolping, can you imagine if he didn't help with The Matrix? Can you imagine Oh yeah, that? I mean, talk about the most influential movies of the decade. I mean, that's arguably maybe the most uh, yeah. of the 90s. Um, yeah, everything after The Matrix is totally different and, and like you said, you have did he, you said he worked on Rumble in the Bronx, right? Uh, he did not work on Rumble in the Bronx. Oh, he but, did not work on Rumble. But he he but he also worked Drunken Master, Fist of Legend, Black Mask. Oh, okay. But then you so then, he, yeah. But then you start seeing his first American movie. Ready? Lethal mm-hmm. Weapon Four, aka the Jet Li one. Which again, oh, yeah. that was another example of what I'm talking about. It also opened the doors for Jet Li, which who was awesome. Like yeah. Jet Li would have never come here had it not been for Rumble in the Bronx. He just wouldn't have happened because it made it palatable. Yeah. You know, The Matrix, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Matrix Reloaded, you know, that masterpiece, Cradle to the Grave. Uh, Sorry, Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, you know, Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's another one, yeah. Yep, it's just, like I said, but then he went back to China, but the influence was felt. If you watch a Marvel movie now, if you watch any of the Marvel movies, they eventually devolve into punching and kicking in martial arts, like sometimes hilariously so. Yeah. But it wouldn't have happened, like it wouldn't have happened, or it wouldn't have happened this way. Yeah, so, that's, yeah, it's a good point. Um, I didn't realize he worked on the Matrix. That's, I. Oh, he is the Matrix. I know, I but I didn't realize he. I guess I didn't realize that the same. I didn't know his name until you. you oh yeah, tell me. That's about that's it, what but. I mean. Like that's what that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. the influence is there, but people may not know the name. Like if you watch Drunken Master, yeah. Like the Legend of Excuse me, uh, yeah, the, the second le- one, the Legend of Drunken Master, or Drunken Master Two. Yeah. It's the Matrix. Yeah. That's what it is. Or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon could not be any more different than The Matrix in the way it's choreographed. Yeah. One's, one's, one is like calligraphy. The other one is like Pulp Fiction. And they're both they're both equally great in different ways. You know? And But again, though, you don't go backwards. And, and there hasn't really been a lot of stuff, though. I mean, we're, we're talking about Crouching Tiger, and Dragon. That movie's over 20 years, or 20 years old now. What was that? Oh, 2000? They made a sequel. Uh, he actually directed the sequel on Netflix himself. But as far as like the level of popularity of like no. the Matrix or Crouching Tiger or and even like you know Mission that's Impossible, that's what I want to get into. That's the next yeah. thing I want to get into um, before because I because hear hear me out. I think what happened yeah. is the influence was felt. It burned bright. It had its it had its day. Um, it became assimilated. But I yeah. think I think the fire for these type of movies like 
and not just Jackie Chan films, but Arnold films, Sylvester Stallone films, all these films, they eventually just became, like all films, obsolete. And they became genre films again. And, you know, you have you have people like The Rock who have been trying to resurrect them. But you yeah. you look at The Rock. He's doing The Jungle Cruise. He's not doing, yeah, you know, Predator doing Part he, far, he, 5. I mean, well, he did do a – he had a little foray into uh, Fast and Furious. He's still doing the Hobbs and Shaw, which actually is a pretty good movie, I think. But um, I, I love the Fast and Furious movies. I think they're the best action movies. Well, I would say I would say I would say Fast and the Furious another benefactor of these Hong Kong films. In fact, oh yeah, um, the the Fast and the Furious movies make the most money in China. Yeah, people love them. I mean, yep. I'm a big Fast and Furious fan. I, there's not a movie in that franchise that I don't like. Um, you like part but two? But yeah, over the years, you like, though, you like the second one? Oh yeah, I love. Them. You like the second one? Well, what have <laughs> yeah. you seen nine? Have you seen Fast Nine? Oh uh, yeah, I saw. <laughs> well, he's, guess I who's it. guess who's back? <laughs> I know. No one stays yeah, I dead. Mean, but he's the, he's the most popular character. <laughs> well, the thing about the thing about it, though, you look at this, and um, you know, you put the rock, you, you put you put the you splice the rock into Fast and the Furious, and the franchise comes back to life. Yeah. You, you take him out, and it feels like something's missing. Oh but really? I don't like him in the franchise. I think you don't? he's kind of. You a, just said I, you love Hobbs well, and Shaw. No, no, no. I like him in that movie, but I don't like him in the regular series. I love the movies, but I don't like him in other than Hobbs and Shaw. I think he's the weakest point of Fast Five in Fast Seven, where he's not in it as much because he's injured or something. I think that's the best movie. Oh, I think it's series. because I, I think it's because uh, Vin Diesel hates him. Like I think I think it's kind um, of I think he it's, does. It's kind but, of a known thing. They they don't like yeah, each other. Yeah, they do not. Yeah, especially well. Well, here's the thing, and and there's some truth to it. Vin Diesel's problem with The Rock is that he want every movie The Rock's ever in, he wants it to be all about him. He wants to be like carry the movie and all this stuff. But the beauty of the Fast and Furious movies, and I think the most recent one is the best example of this, is that everyone it's an ensemble cast, but everyone shines in it. And but when you have The Rock in it, it kind of tilts the scale. You think a it's lot. too? You th- well, you think he's too much? Like he's yeah. He's too big. I think it's yeah. I think it's too. Not only is he too big, I think he he demands more attention. Than well, would other you characters. say? Would you say? And this is going to sound like an insult, but it's not. Yeah. Would you say he's too charismatic? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that actually. Because you look at Vin Diesel, and I'll be honest with you, there's not much going on there. And yeah. he and but he's got, great. He tries, but like he tries to make a franchise out of and it doesn't work. Yeah, like Fast, yeah, only Fast and Furious does it really work. So, and then you put, but then you have to, but, but the Fast and the Furious movies is a franchise that depends on more stars. Like, let's put Kurt Russell, yeah. let's put Charlize Theron, let's put Jason exactly. Statham, yeah. you know. Paul Walker, even. Has Tony Jaw been in there? Tony Jaw's been in there, right? Uh, Tony Jaw. Maybe? So, no, I don't think so. Well, anyway, let's get back to this movie because, uh, you want to know a little secret? I've never seen a Fast and the Furious movie. None of them. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> But, they're, oh but, they're, my but I know everything about them because they're just so part of my life. They're so Tokyo Drift is fun. I will say, oh yeah, Tony Jaa was in Furious 7. He was in that movie. Oh, so everyone um, has been in there. Yeah. <laughs> Except Jackie Chan. Um, Ron, Ronda Rousey was in a Fast and Furious movie. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're basically the other Expendables. But, yeah, um, but better. But, but you, should, yeah, you should watch that's, it. Well, that's, I, I, will, I will think about it. I, I, I'll get into it, but for the same reasons, like, well, I like Roadhouse, and I don't like anything about Roadhouse, yeah, but I like the movie. Yeah. But I'll say this. Um, but going back to going back, I want to make my yeah. point is that I think the time like that fire burned out, and I'll explain why. Yeah, you're right. When Jackie Chan became popular, he started making Rush Hour. Rush Hour one was a gigantic success, Comedy. just huge success, like one of the biggest successes of the late '90s. Like I said, um, and it was funny. It was good. It was a fun movie. Uh, but 
then Rush Hour 2 came out, and it's divisive. I, I think it's better than the first, but some people don't. And then you had his other franchise. You had uh, Shanghai Noon, Shanghai Nights with Owen Wilson, which I think are the better movies, by the way. But not everybody agrees. And then you just started having Jackie Chan crap. Like, he would just he would just make these generic Americanized films that were not good. And yeah. there's so many. Let me see if I can just name a couple. Just off the top. Let, let's just see if I can name a couple that were bad. So you ready for this? Let's see. The, the Spy Next Door. Oh, God. The Tuxedo. The Tuxedo. The Tuxedo. Yeah, Around the World in 80 Days. <laughs> you know, the myth. And then you could tell by this time he's starting to, like, lose his fascination with America. Yeah. You know, he started he started being a voice. He was in the Kung Fu Panda movies. But yeah. the movie I want to talk about real quick before we hand up is where I think it ends. I think it puts the cap on this era. came out in 2008. And it was called The Forbidden Kingdom. And not too many people have seen this now, but it was a, it was a fairly sizable hit when it came out. Uh, it was an American film from the director of, of The Lion King, Rob Minkoff. The first, oh, wow. Yep. And it was written by a guy named John Fusco. who was actually like a black belt and studied Wushu. Studied, uh, what, what did he study? Uh, let me see what he studied here. Oh, look at that. Oh, Oakville, Connecticut. I thought Oakland. Sorry. He's a practitioner of Wing Chun, Jeet Kune Do, which is Bruce Lee style, yeah, and yeah. received an honorary black belt from World Su Tang Association for his work. So Rumble, he was a fan. And so this was the movie that finally put Jackie Chan and Jet Li together. It did it in a cartoony American movie about a white kid who watches bootleg Chinese movies. So you've never seen this movie, huh? No, I've never seen it. I should see that. Okay, I love the premise, and I can't hate it because I love the premise so much. Yeah. Imagine if you took the last Starfighter and you matched it with Gremlins, and you <laughs> and you matched it with Neverending Story, and you get this movie. Oh, wow. So this kid literally lives in New York City, modern New York, and he all he does he's obsessed with Chinese films. He loves Jackie Chan. He loves, uh, you know, uh, oh, what's the legend? Uh, the Legend of the Monkey King. You know, uh, Legend of the Five Rings. The Monkey King. Oh. Yeah, everybody has made a Monkey King movie, by the way. Every Chinese star has made the Monkey King. So he's he's a nerd. He's a nerd. He's a geek. He has a Sega Dreamcast on his bed. He doesn't have a life, no girlfriend, nothing. So he goes to – he's friends with this old man who works at the store, and it's Jackie Chan and old man makeup. Mm-hmm. And he gets his bootleg DVDs there. And one day, this, this rather intimidating <laughs> group of gangs uh, tries to rob him, and they, they rob the Chinese store, and they kill the old man. And he finds a magical spear, runs outside, wakes up, and he's in fantasy Chinese land. Awesome. He's the token white guy in fantasy Chinese land, where everybody speaks English. Yeah. And well, he... Hmm? Well, I was going to say, that's kind of like the fish out of water thing. That, yeah. Um, in Rebel in the Bronx, you kind of see them try, like almost half-heartedly attempting to do a fish out of water thing with Jackie Chan, but they never no. lean into that. No, they never do because um, – and there's there's reasons for that because if you've ever been into Chinatown, you can literally live in Chinatown and never speak to a white person. Like yeah. like the, it's just the way the communities That's are true. set up. That's it's just, true. It's just the way the communities are set up. Yeah. Um, they're called diasporas. And yeah. so – but anyway, going back to the Forbidden Kingdom, so he becomes – in ancient mystical Chinese land, he becomes friends with Jackie Chan who's a, a drunken master. Go figure. And eventually, you know, he tells the story of the Monkey King and eventually they meet – Jet Li, and then Jet Li and Jackie Chan have this pretty cool face-off. It's it's well done. That's what your money shot is. That's what you want to see. Yeah. And I understand why they put the token white kid in there, right? I get it. 
He's us. He's the audience. And I think that's as far as this can go, though. I don't think you can go any further with the concept. Like, mm-hmm. this is because, like that kid I told you about, the, the little skinny black kid in Rumble in the Bronx, mm-hmm. this is it. You know, you see it, you become amazed with it, you become obsessed with it. What do you do with it? And nothing. <laughs> so, because yeah. if, if all you do is watch movies, then that's all you get. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, and 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 there isn't a ton of depth in a lot of these movies, and so like you said, yeah, that's as far as you just you're watching pure entertainment mm-hmm. for the most part, and and that can only get you so far. I mean, I'll even say I watched a lot of Jackie Chan movies, and as as fun as they were, it, they do get a little fatigued if you want yes. a little something else from your movies. Um, and as they're awesome though, and and especially the better ones, uh, you know, you can watch them over well, and over again. But someone once said. If you like Italian food, you can eat Chef Boyardee every night. Sure. But if you want a good Italian, you got to spend some time. And yeah. so, like, and Jackie Chan movies were both. They were Chef Boyardee you could easily watch at home. But going to see one in the theater at the time was a treat. But mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day, though, you know, you have the same treat every day. It becomes it becomes worn out. And to, yeah. and to his credit, I think Jackie Chan realized this, and he went back to Hong Kong for the most part. He's... He's done a, a spattering of American films since then, uh, some better than others. I will say this. I did like him in the Karate Kid remake. I did too. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I thought he was actually really, 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 really good in that movie. Me too. Um, and I did see uh, – I haven't seen it yet, but The the Foreigner is supposed to be pretty good. It's basically his version of uh, Taken. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. No, I didn't see that one. Um, Vanguard was another one I heard people said was pretty good. Was you know? Uh, for... That's one with all those special effects. Oh, was that the one? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe and, that wasn't the one then. And we were talking about this. Well, uh, well, there's a couple. I did see Skip Trace with Johnny Knoxville. Oh yeah. It was kind of funny at the end. There's a scene with Adele, not with Adele, but she, you know, that's and he's in uh he's in some of the Lego movies, the Ninjago things. Yeah. Uh, Kung Fu Yoga I saw, which was mediocre. That's also from Stanley Tong, the director. Oh, yeah. Well. Same director as Rumble in the Bronx. Was, yeah. But but what's funny about the funny thing about uh, Kung Fu Yoga is that it it's attempting to do for Chinese cinema what Rumble in the Bronx did for American cinema, but instead with Bollywood. So okay. it's Jackie Chan goes to India because Bollywood's becoming a big market over there. Wow. Um, there's a bunch. He's in a lot of stuff. Bleeding Steel was pretty mediocre. I won't lie to you. Um, we, t- you and I watched a trailer for how do we pronounce it? Vilv Two: Journey to China. Yeah, the one with Arnold. One with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Rutger Howard. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a little too little, too little I, too late. I, I am, I am curious, and I think about this. Every, uh, you know, I, lo- I love Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's very different. He could do comedy a little bit. He wasn't a mm. comedian, but he, but he had a good when he wanted to. Like he, you know, he did the. Uh, the thing where he he dressed up like the electrician or the telephone guy or whatever with the glasses and what movie are you talking do, about? Um, I think it was that was Fist of Fury. Okay. Um, where he's trying to tap the phones and then he um, dresses you, up like. Are you familiar? Um, are you familiar with Game of Death? Yeah, um, I haven't seen Game of Death. I mean, are you familiar with how it was made though? Yeah, yeah, I know that they tried to finish it with with him. Uh, it was it was Robert Klaus too. Robert right? Klaus. Well, he was. Yeah. Jackie Chan directed all the footage of the fights. Uh, and wait, wait, Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan? I'm sorry, Bruce Lee. And uh, after he died, they had there was no movie. It was just the fights. Yeah. So Robert Klaus came in, and I don't think I'm not sure if Bruce Lee would have approved of this, but they just created 
sections between the fights, and they had to like get Bruce Lee lookalikes. They had to do. Yeah. There's one scene that's so bad. It's just a guy with a picture of Bruce Lee's face taped to a mirror. It's, nice. But uh, I'll say this. So I've been reading. Um, I just started reading it yesterday, but I'm almost finished. That's how fast it is. I just started reading Jackie Chan's new biography called Never Grow Up. Uh-huh. Uh, it just came out like two years ago, a year ago. And there's there's a whole section about Bruce, like Bruce Lee in there and how he's always tried to avoid the comparisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting, though, without Bruce Lee, there'd be no Jackie Chan. Yeah. For many reasons. For many – like when he started working at Golden Harvest and whatever, uh, Bruce Lee's old dressing room was empty. They thought it was haunted. Hmm. And Jackie Chan took it. So he took it. And, you know, he would – you know, he was in Under the Dragon. Bruce Lee uh, – Jackie yeah. Chan was in Under the Dragon for one second. One second. But I do have one more comment to make, and I'm kind of done about this. So I've been doing a lot of research on future movies for us to talk about. And one of the things I was looking up was Star Trek. Because eventually we have to we have to talk about science fiction and Star Trek. Yeah. But I was listening – because I was listening to the commentary of um, The Day the Earth Stood Still when we did our podcast on that. Yeah. And the, and the commentary on that is interesting because the commentary on that movie is actually by – uh, the director himself, is it Robert Wise? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, right. I think it was Robert Wise, yeah. What's that? Oh, yeah, Robert yeah, Wise. Robert the, Wise right? w- yeah. When he was still alive. Yeah. So, you know, RIP, he died. But he seemed like a very lovely man who loved making movies. And Nicholas Meyer. Nicholas Meyer directed uh, Star Trek II, <laughs> The Wrath of Khan. And what's interesting, if when I was listening to the commentary on uh, Star Trek One, the motion picture, also directed by Robert Wise... And then I listened to the commentary on Star Trek II, directed by Nicholas Meyer. Um, in the second movie, the man he's talking, Nicholas Myers is talking with, is very disparaging of the first Star Trek. He's like, "Oh, it's so slow, it's so boring, it's so dull, it's not what we wanted." And Nicholas Myers is like, "No, no, no, no! Like th- that that movie is a great science fiction movie. It did all the heavy lifting for me. Like if that movie hadn't done what it had done, I couldn't have made the movie my way." And in some ways, you feel the same way about Jackie Chan. You know, Bruce Lee was the first one. Bruce Lee was the first Asian star to break through. And had he lived, I don't know if you agree with me, had Bruce Lee lived, had he not passed away, I think the trajectory of Hollywood would have been changed. Yeah. I think that, I really do. I don't, I don't, think, it's a, I don't think it's a guessing game. I think Bruce Lee would have opened up Hollywood. It would have changed the dynamics of representation in Hollywood. Yeah, Totally. I mean, you have you. He's he's still like arguably the most recognizable mm-hmm. um, movie star of the 20th century. Uh, at least like top two or three. Um, you can go anywhere. Any everyone likes Bruce Lee. Yeah, every, um, every everybody everybody except Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> so that's true, right? Yeah, but well, you see, I mean, obviously, you know, he got passed on for Kung Fu. Uh, which is which was a, a big deal, and I mean, even he he though had sympathy for it. He was like, "Look, if it was made in Hong Kong, we wouldn't want you know if it was a, a you know an American themed show in Hong Kong, we wouldn't want an American person to play. We would want a Hong Kong you know." Can Hong I Kong make a person. can I make a comment on that? Because you're right. Yeah. All every time we see an American production of a foreign movie, or, or people are always saying, "Oh, it's not it's not authentic to the original." Let me say something to you, people. Yeah. If the tables were turned. The foreign country making a movie in their own image would not give two flying chopsticks about no. representation. Oh, yeah. they, they don't care about that. They yeah, don't. He said that. And Bruce yeah. Lee said that. He said, I, yeah. we would not want an American person playing in, in Hong Kong. We just wouldn't want it. I mean, obviously now 
you know, a lot of stuff's different. You know, they, they like, obviously, you said Fast and Furious movies and stuff, which are very diverse anyway. But, um, you know, but this is the 70s, early 70s. So yes. it was a lot different. And um, you, you see how impactful he was in America, even just doing these four movies, the first two of which were not that great of movies. Well, that's anyway. the thing. The, the, first, the first movies didn't make an impact in America. It was yeah. Under the Dragon that made the impact. Yeah. And then the others had residual effect because of that. Yeah. But if if the first Bruce Lee movie in American cinemas was Fist of Legend or whatever, or Fist of Fury, Fist it wouldn't have worked. Fury. It wouldn't have been a hit. Yeah. It needed to be something like Enter the Dragon. Yeah. And it it was. Enter the Dragon worked. It was a huge hit. But he died, and that's yeah. a problem. I, you think? Do you think he would have, you know, gone gone into the rush hour route? <laughs> no. Do you think he would have stayed very true to, um, true to form? I think what would have I well because Bruce Lee died and and Jackie Chan was a beneficiary of this up to a point is that the hunt for a new Bruce Lee meant we'll put anything we can and mm-hmm. we'll turn anything we can and you saw you literally saw an industry of fake Bruce Lees literally an industry of fake Bruce Lees called Bruce Lees um, but the problem was they were just all trying to photocopy the success of End of the Dragon there was no attempt to make things different and it it took ten years before Jackie Chan was able to find that different formula himself. Like he himself, like there's a whole there's whole chapters where they tried to make him into Bruce Lee, yeah. and he wasn't that kind of character. He just wasn't that. Hong Kong cinema could be more. Had Bruce Lee lived, I think what would have happened is you would have seen a better emphasis on um, multiracial, multiethnic action films. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the explosion of black black exploitation, black cinema. You had the explosion of Hong Kong cinema, but I think you would have seen a more merging of the two. I think you would have seen a better emphasis on philosophy in film because I think you saw that in some of his earlier, like even his American stuff. Oh yeah. Um, I think you would have saw hyper realism in action. I think, like the seventies, seventies cinema is known for gritty action, like you know things blowing up and violence, and before the MPAA came in and screwed everything up. But I think you would have seen uh, an elevation of action in, in the seventies that would have changed the trajectory of the set of the eighties. Because if you look at the 80s, a lot of the action stars all came out of the 70s. You had Arnold Schwarzenegger, you had Sylvester Stallone, you had mm-hmm. Chuck Norris. Um, but I, I, I don't think the mediocre fighting would have been acceptable. I think it would have been progressive. And maybe, maybe people like Arnold wouldn't have had, a, had, had much of a career. You know? It's true. Maybe Sylvester Stallone would have because he's always been adaptable, but not in Kung Fu. You know, I mean, it would have been different. It would have been different, but I do think you would have seen more ethnically diverse stars emerge from it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the most interesting uh, what ifs that you can talk about in in Hollywood, and and also the just the very fact that in 1975 the blockbuster era mm-hmm. began, began with Jaws, and and obviously you have Star Wars two years later. Like, how would Bruce Lee have got been incorporated in that um, stuff? And, well, actually, you're not far off because I think what might have happened there is that, you know, you had people like George Lucas and um, Francis Ford Coppola and mm-hmm. Spielberg who were enormous fans of people like oh, yeah. Kura Kurosawa, and even they tried hard to bring Kurosawa films here. So, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Star Wars was the, you know, the, was that Seven Samurai? It was... Well, yeah, well, uh, Hidden Fortress. Hidden Fortress, yeah. Hidden Fortress. But you also have pe- like Obi-Wan Kenobi who was a respected, you know, you had... Um, uh, Alec Guinness was a respected actor, but maybe you would have seen, you know, you would have oh, seen, yeah. uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, he was in 1941. What's his name? No, I keep John Belushi. Uh, no, yeah, John Belushi. <laughs> Actually, he did. John Belushi did play a samurai. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, 
Um, I can only think of the main guys, like the comedian. Oh, okay. Toshiro. Toshiro. Okay, yeah, Toshiro Mufuna. Yeah. I love Toshiro. I just watched uh, Hell in the Pacific with Lee Marvin. Yeah. Oh, by the okay, way, yeah. watch this movie. It's by John Borman, by the way. Watch this movie, Hell in the Pacific, with Lee Marvin and John. It's a, it's almost a silent film. They don't speak each other's language, but they become buddies on a stranded island. Love it. Um, yeah, Toshiro Mufune was a big star in um, in Japan, but he was faded in the 70s, and Spielberg felt bad. He put him in his movie. You know, he put him uh, in 1941. Maybe, maybe you would have seen more of that in Star Wars. You would have seen more of an influence because you wouldn't have George Lucas, I don't want to say stealing, but maybe he would have been more willing to get the originals as opposed to the the clones. Yeah, it, yeah, it is just interesting because there was still less of an understanding of like how to, you know, diver- diversify. And and honestly, because of that, I think it was more authentic and more sincere because people were doing it because they actually love these these movies and these cultures. Yeah, versus exactly. Now it's a now it's a lot of pandering and you know. Well, trying to check boxes and stuff. But. Well, like, for example, a couple of years ago, uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, Unforgiven was remade in Japan mm. by Ken by Ken Watanabe. Okay. And Ken Watanabe was his friends with, with his friends with Clint Eastwood. They've been a mo- he put him in his movie. Uh, what was that movie? Letters from Iwo Jima, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen the Japanese Unforgiven? No. It's fantastic. No. It's really good. It sounds awesome. It's really good. It's not as, I don't know if it's as good as Clint's, but it's really good. And it's like, do you think they cared about do you think they care? Oh, this is an American movie. We need to put a white guy in this movie. Yeah. There's only, to my knowledge, there's only been one Japanese director that ever put a token white guy in their movie, and that was Mike Takahashi when he made, you know, Spaghetti Django. He put Quentin Tarantino in it. Oh yeah. <laughs> so go figure. So what I'm saying is, is that, and I go back to the Forbidden Forbidden Kingdom, and this is this is my problem. Okay, I'm going to get a little negative here. Not only do I think it's exhausted, I think it's we're going backwards. Okay. And I, for example, I saw the trailer for Marvel's upcoming Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, crap. Like, we're finally getting Asian characters in Marvel, and they're doing karate and kung fu. Yeah. Like, when you, it's like when you saw What's-His-Face in uh, the Doctor Strange movie. What's, his, what's that guy's name? Um, oh, um, the, the chubby yeah, Asian. The, the best, his best friend. Oh, man, I can't remember his name exactly. right now. He's a good actor. He was, in, uh, yeah. he was in that Netflix show. I forget his name. Forgive me. But it's like, Wow. Here we go. Or like when you see like Rey and the Last Dragon from Disney. Oh my gosh. And all the characters have to be Asian because they're talking about mystical dragons. Well, well see, that's the, the – Shang-Chi is at least forgivable because that was a, a comic book series that was made in the 70s versus Rey and the Last Dragon is Let a me ask you a question. original Let me movie. ask you a question. How many secondary characters in Marvel movies are Asian? Uh, I'll save you the, the trouble. Benedi- oh, Benedict Wong, by the way. Benedict Wong. Wong. Okay. Just Just, yeah. Benedict, and what did he play? He played a monk. Yeah. How many non-stereotypical characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe are Asian? And the answer is zero. Yeah. They're black, white, and Hispanic. That's mm-hmm. it. You finally get an Asian character, and he's doing kung fu. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's the backwardsness of it. Like, yeah. you, like real diversity. This isn't diversity. This is stereotypes. Yeah. This is a stereotype. Like, how come, how come Captain Falcon can't be Asian? Yeah, you got Michelle Yeoh, you know. By the way, Michelle Yeoh's broken out of that. She's doing legitimate stuff. She's in The Witcher now. She's going to be in a Witcher spinoff. She's in yeah, Star she's Trek. In Star Trek, yeah. Yeah, I've loved Michelle Yeoh forever. You know, she was in Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. Or how about uh, what's his face? Speaking of Crazy Rich Asians, here's some more backwards crap for you. Oh, the Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes, and who plays him? Uh, what's his face? Harold Golding. Yeah. Harry Golding. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the handsome man who's the whitest Asian man I've ever seen. 
But yeah. you have this guy who's known for romantic leads. Oh, we need a character, an Asian, an Asian character. Well, he's got to know kung fu. Like yeah. that's it. That's your thing. That's a stereotype. Yeah. That's literally a joke on The Simpsons. But well, then, but then you have um, uh, what's her name who plays the the in Doctor Strange, the bald. Why am I why am I blanking on her name? Oh, I know who um, you're talking about. T- uh, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton, yeah. Um, yeah. You have her, and then, yeah, I mean, I mean people get got upset because she was a white lady. Yeah. Um, but in the comic... Look, can, in, we, can in, we be clear? Tilda Swinton's a lot of things. She's probably part space alien. Yeah, she's she was awesome <laughs> so. in the movie, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's 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 a tricky thing, I, I guess, if you're the if you're the studio executives, and I don't envy trying to uh, make those decisions, and no matter what you do, uh, you know, you're, you're offending damned if somebody. You do, damned if you don't. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, but I, but at the same time, yeah, like you're saying, uh, you know, if they really wanted diversity, they can just like, boom, here's a movie with all Asian people, and it's like, oh, wait, why just now? Well, it's like when they did Star Wars uh, Rogue One and they put awesome Donnie Yen in it, right? Yeah. And Donnie Yen, who's awesome. Well, we love Donnie Yen. But what it had to be? He had to, do, he had to be doing martial arts. I mean, yeah, it's, true. Yeah. it's what you pay for, right? Yeah. But at the same point, though, Jet Li, to his credit, before, you know, Jet Li, before he, before he went into hibernation, he was doing different things. He was, did you ever see Unleashed? It was martial arts, but he played, mm-hmm. a, he, he played, a, he played a slave dog to Bob Hoskins. That was a great oh, movie. That was a great movie. Yeah. You know, like, what I'm saying is, is it just feels like we're going backwards. Like, yeah. everybody's getting back in their lane, you know? And, and by the way, uh, Rush Hour is great without the fight scenes. Oh, yeah. Well, Rush Hour is funny. That's what... Yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the it's the, the chemistry between Chris Tucker and, and Jackie Chan, which which is exactly so good. And, and if you want to bring it full circle, well, not full circle, but we were talking about Fast and Furious, Han, who is... Mm-hmm. Arguably the by most way, popular. Spoiler: character. He's back. He, he doesn't do any martial arts, by the way. He's literally just popular because it's him, and he's awesome in it. And he's just this really, really cool dude. And and that to me is what I think people should want to. That's see. That's what they want to see because yeah. but but they've established Han like because the director was uh, the director of the new Fast and the Furious was yeah. the director of Tokyo Drift. Justin Lin, yeah. And, uh, you know, I go back to uh, some of the people who came over here, and I was going to mention um, uh, Chow Yun-Fat was never doing kung fu. He was doing gung fu, you know. He's basically the Jackie Chan of gunplay, right? Yeah. You ever watch The Killer or Protector or, you know, uh, once what was that one? Uh, goodness, Chris, you're going to hate me that I forgot the name of this movie. But basically he's awesome. And yeah. he came to America. He rid this train as well. And yeah. I remember when I saw him in Pirates of the Caribbean, the last two movies, he played the, uh, you know, the Asian pirate. He was awesome in it for yeah. two, the two minutes he was in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you, you see these stars and everything, and you, you, you feel bad in a way because they're much, much more than stereotypes. Yeah. But, but what even made on, even even mm-hmm. on a director's end, you got Ang Lee, James Wan, who's uh, I think Malaysian, Australian. Yeah, well, Ang Lee, I would think Ang Lee's out of the, all of them has been the most successful because he's such a diverse filmmaker himself. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, like true, his big movie was uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but then yeah. he made The Hulk. Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain. You know? um, yeah, I mean, uh, he's, he's done a bunch. The of Life stuff. of Pi. Oh, he's Life fit- of Pi. Oh man, I love that movie. Yeah, he's he's a great director, but he's not a great Asian director. He's just a great director. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's that's my point is that these these people are so much more, and and Jackie Chan, to his credit, is very gifted. He's a very gifted martial artist. He's a very gifted sick. He's a, actually a pretty great singer. Um, 
he's a force of nature. He's he's fun to watch. There's nobody else like him. And and I enjoy every time I watch him, even in his bad stuff, I enjoy I find something to enjoy in it. But I got to tell you something. My here's my final thought. 1996 was very magical for me because I was finally able to share that experience with other people who weren't as obsessed. Yeah. And it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun because Every time a new Jackie Chan movie would come out, we'd go to the theater to see it. We'd go. It was fun, and that doesn't exist anymore. In fact, it just doesn't really exist anymore in general for people. It, it exists for franchises, like it's a Marvel thing now or a DC thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're like, a, you know, a really big fan of a certain actor, but you're. It's not like a mm, can't can't wait for that new Timothy Chalamet movie. Yay. Oh my gosh! But like for like for me, I, I'm a big uh, Shia LaBeouf fan, so every time he does a movie. Well, who knows when the next one? You're is living in rough. Now, time. But... You're living in rough times, kid. So <laughs> you're living in rough times. Uh, yeah. So I mean, yeah. But also, um, for me, uh, the first uh, date night my wife and I ever had mm-hmm. to the movies was Rush Hour Three. Really? Kind of funny. Yeah. Ironically. So. Yeah. Was she a big Jackie Chan fan at all? Did she? No, know anything she did. About him? She was. Yeah. Did we, she like we it? Kind of. Yeah, she loved it. She, yeah, we rewatched all three of them together now, and um, yeah. You know, Jackie Chan won an honorary Oscar. Yeah, a couple and, years ago. Uh, Chris Tucker was one of the presenters. That's awesome. With uh, you know who the other two were? Hmm. Uh, Michelle Yeoh. Nice. And Tom Hanks. Really cool. Yep, Tom Hanks. Why kept, Tom Hanks? Because he kept calling him Chantastic. <laughs> because he's Tom Hanks. <laughs> he's lovable. Yeah, of course. He, yeah, he's so, in everything. But you know what I mean? Like Jackie Chan won an Oscar. You know, he didn't. Yeah. I don't know if won the right word. It was competitive, but he, he got, earned. He earned an Oscar. Yeah, it's like he got it, you know, and, and it would have been nice if it had it been for his talent in a film. Sure. But I, I can't think you can look at someone like Jackie Chan and you can say that he is not one of the most important figures in the history of cinema. Like, for what he does, he's the best, whoever was. Yeah. Maybe sometime there'll be a better one, but you look at all the diversity of his films, and they are they are very diverse. Like, it's not just all kung fu. There's a lot of other stuff there that's worth exploring. Yeah. But you but you look at Rumble in the Bronx. Is it the best Jackie Chan movie? No. Is it the best martial art movie? No. Is it the best action movie? No. Is it the best written? No. Best directed? No. It, it's nothing, not even the top 10 of any list you could ever make. Yeah. But it had 1% of all that stuff good enough to make it very entertaining, very palatable, very agreeable to Western audiences. And it gave us a, gave us a look at one of, of this talented man who would, by sheer force of his nature, change cinema for the better. And I think for that reason, Rumble in the Bronx deserves to be talked about in a positive light, because I do think so. I, I love the movie a lot. I, I enjoy it every time I watch it. Every single time. I love this movie. Flaws and all. Yeah. Flaws and all, man. Flaws. It's a good movie. And that scene where the uh, the tow trucks b- <laughs> break down the grocery store and she's using the bathroom. That was great. <laughs> Yes, Anita Mui, RIP. Um, I will say this, though. I will. If there's anything I don't like about Rumble in the Bronx, if I had to name one thing that I don't like about it, it would be nothing, because I love the whole thing. Ah. Oh, by the way, can I make one more suggestion before we sure. add? Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, no, I just uh, one more comparison, actually. the Another person who won a, a, uh, a Lifetime Oscar and didn't win one for anything specific was Charlie Chaplin. Which is I, and someone else who was, you know, arguably the best at what they did. Nice. Uh, well, if you think about it, you could you could draw a line from Charlie. Ch- like not oh, yeah. even, not even in uh, Shanghai Nights where they're in the same movie. But uh, yeah, you you wouldn't have Jackie Chan without Charlie Chaplin. 
or yeah. Fred Astaire or Ginger Rogers or any yeah. of these talented people. That's it. That's the way it is. We're all inspired. And, and just like Charlie Chaplin, I think what the most impressive thing to me learning about uh, Jackie Chan through this uh, this past week is is what's the most impressive thing is that he's such a gifted filmmaker. Not even just his stunts and the risks he takes, but actually his vision for you know composing a scene or composing a fight sequence like that to me um is it was the thing i was i my biggest takeaway from it yeah just like chaplin was like the same thing he directs too because he knows because he's a stunt coordinator he knows he knows where the camera would uh line up best exactly i'll say this if, if you're like ethan and you don't have the biggest history with jackie chan you're in for a treat there's a lot to love there's a lot to, there's a lot of garbage too Sometimes he's better off in short doses, sometimes long. But give it a chance, and I think you're going to find a lot of stuff to like and share. And I think it goes without saying, his movies are better with crowds. Yeah. So however you watch it, watch it with a few people you care about, whatever. Get get some street gangs in there. Maybe you'll all find world peace. Although I was hooting and hollering by myself watching these. But... It's true. I mean, you LOL'd. In, yeah. Well, hold on. LOL, IRL. I, was, I wasn't <laughs> raffling. I wasn't raffling, but I was LOLing for sure. Isn't it great to watch movies with no cell phones and no emojis? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And that's. I think that's going to be it. I think, uh, yeah. I think we've talked enough about Rumble in the Bronx. Rumble in the Bronx, 1996, directed by, I want to say the great Stanley Tong, but he's just pretty good. He's okay. <laughs> the pretty good, directed by the pretty good Stanley Tong. He's pretty good. He he can do a good movie sometimes. Sometimes he does bad, but he's for the most part it all averages out. Directed by Stanley Tong, starring Jackie Chan and the most hilariously diverse group of cartoonish street gangs you've ever seen. Go watch it. It's available. You could stream it. You could buy it. You could you could probably buy it for like a song on Amazon. Yeah. But other than that, I want to thank Ethan Brem and thank you once again. Thank you. And with that, you've been listening to Movie Time Podcast from PopZara.com. We talk about movies. If you like it, give us a like yourself. Love us. Share us with your friends. And go watch Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan. And with that, everybody, have a great rest of your summer. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the PopZara Podcast. For more quality original content, check out PopZara.com for the latest reviews and previews in gaming, movies, tech, and more.